This is the Trails Church Podcast. At the Trails Church, our mission is to glorify God by making disciples through the gospel in community and on mission. If you'd like more information about our church, visit our website, thetrails.org. Now here's today's podcast. Open your Bible with me to Exodus chapter 20. 25 years ago, I traveled to Israel for the first time with my dad and my grandparents. And that trip had a profound impact on my spiritual life as I saw firsthand the places that I'd heard about from Scripture since I was a boy. The Bible seemed to come alive right before my eyes. Two weeks ago, I was grateful to visit again, this time with Jamie and Cade, our oldest son. And we had an incredible time walking through the storied scenes of Scripture and visiting specific places where God revealed Himself to people long ago. I pray that this trip, too, will have a lasting impact on our lives spiritually. We stood on Mount Moriah where God tested Abram through the instruction to sacrifice his son Isaac and there confirmed his covenant that through Abraham's seed he would bless all the nations of the earth, Genesis 22. Uh, I had uh, the privilege to lead a devotional on Mount Carmel where the fire of God rained down and consumed a water-soaked sacrifice to prove his power over Baal. 1 Kings chapter 18. Uh, We sailed on the Sea of Galilee where Jesus demonstrated his supremacy over the wind and the waves. Mark chapter 4 verse 39. We sat by the pool of Bethesda where a man had been crippled for 38 years, took up his mat and walked home. John 5 8. Each of those places hold a special place in the storyline of Scripture. Or to say it a different way, in the story of our redemption. So my hope is to take a group from the trails in about 24 months, Lord willing. Uh, So more to come on that. So mark your calendars now. Though we didn't travel uh, by plane last fall to Mount Sinai as an entire church, we did share the experience of what happened there thousands of years ago through the witness of Scripture. This was the place where a recently redeemed people heard with their own ears the very voice of the living God. We explored how the Ten Commandments were never intended just to adjust outwardly God's people's behavior or to uh, create some sort of moral influence but to penetrate and sink down into the heart and transform our lives. As I looked inward week by week at these ten commands, I saw again and again how I had broken God's law and command. But I also looked upward to Christ each week where I found a faithful and forgiving Savior. I pray that you did too. As we often sing upward, we look and see him there who made an end to all our sin. I was so eager to return to our study of Exodus after taking a break for uh, a number of weeks now. Today we dive back into the sweep of the narrative as the last of the Ten Commandments still rings in the air. Let's, just for the sake of catching up, rehearse what we've seen 
Going all the way back to the beginning of the story, God had heard the cry of his people while they were slaves in Egypt. He redeemed them and saved them through the parting of the Red Sea. He'd led them into the wilderness where he had provided and led them with every step to this very spot, Mount Sinai. Before the Ten Commandments were given to the people, we read how all of Israel was gathered at the foot of the mountain. In Exodus 19, they declared, All that God has spoken, we will do. What a great declaration. I even thought about this week and just prayed that as a church we would make that our sort of prayer. All that God has spoken, we will do. As we begin a new year together as a church family, I pray that we would keep our Bibles open in front of us, learning from the revelation of God, growing as worshipers of God, followers of Jesus, being people filled with the Spirit of Christ, and that the prayer of our hearts would continually be, all that God has spoken, we will do. So may I just ask even now, is there an area of your life that God's word has spoken to clearly, yet you refuse to walk in obedience to it? Is there an area like that? Exodus chapter 20, verses 18 to 21, is packed with revelation, who God is, and response, how God's people respond. This is a remarkable scene that details how God revealed himself, how the people respond, and it introduces something that is essential for us to see, the need, their desperate need, for someone to stand between sinful people and a holy God. Along the way, what we learn is that God has revealed himself for a purpose, that we might know him and rightly worship him with holy fear. In fact, that our entire lives would be marked by holiness lived into as a response to who he is. So we'll organize our text by looking at three Truths. One, the revelation of God. Second, the response of his people. And then third, the request for a mediator. So let me invite you now, if you'd stand your feet as we read God's holy and inerrant word. Exodus chapter 20, verses 18 to 21. Now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking... The people were afraid and trembled. And they stood far off and said, Moses, you speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. Moses said to the people, do not fear, for God has come to test you, that the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. The people stood far off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Amen. First, we witness the revelation of God, verse 18. These four verses, it's important that we see this, they form a bridge between two very important sections of Exodus, filled with God speaking to his people. On one side, there is the Ten Commandments, Exodus chapter 20, 1 to 17. And on the other side of this bridge, 
we find what is known as the Book of the Covenant, Exodus chapter 21 through 23. So as we cross this bridge, I want us to pause and recognize how God revealed himself in two special ways, through words and through wonders. First, let's look at how God has revealed himself through words. Now, it's been a minute since we've spent time together in the Ten Commandments, and so let's rehearse what they taught us about the character and nature of God. Because embedded in each command for us to obey was also a deposit of truth about who God is. In the first command, the one true God tells us to have no other gods before him. In the second command, the invisible God forbids that images should ever be used in his worship. The third command tells us that the name above all names is to be reverenced and treated with highest honors. In the fourth command, the maker of work and rest instructs us to enjoy rest one day in seven. The fifth command shows how our heavenly Father cares tremendously how we honor our earthly father and mother. The sixth command reveals how the giver of life alone has the authority to make life and take it. In the seventh, God is the God of steadfast love and faithfulness who demands faithfulness in our marriages as a reflection of his covenantal faithfulness to us as the bride. The eighth command is where the giver of all forbids us to steal. In the ninth command, the God of all truth commands we never lie. And finally, in the tenth command, the fountain of everlasting contentment says that we should not covet anything in this world that God has seen in his wisdom not to give us. With each command, the God of self-disclosure speaks each of these words in order that our lives would be formed a certain way, or perhaps to say it more clearly, that our lives would be formed around him, around who he is, his character and nature. God has revealed himself through words. The second way God reveals himself in this passage is through wonders. I think immediately of Exodus 15, where Moses praises God for the wonders that he's performed. As we think about the wonders of God recorded in the book of Exodus, we've already seen some unforgettable scenes. God revealed himself in Exodus 3 through a theophany. A theophany is where the invisible God, for a moment, breaks into creation and reveals himself in a visible way. Um, Through the ten plagues, God demonstrates his power over the false gods of the Egyptians, Exodus 7 through 12. In the pillar of cloud by day and fire by night, God showed how he would go before his people and hem the men from behind, and he would lead them. We find that in Exodus 13. In the parting of the Red Sea, God reveals his strength and ability to save his people, Exodus 14 and 15. With manna from the sky and water from a rock, God supernaturally provided for Israel in their journey. This is Exodus 16 and 17. And now they have arrived 
at Mount Sinai, at the mountain of God, Exodus 19 and 20. And remember, we said they're here all the way through to the book of, of Deuteronomy. So here we find this remarkable and even terrible, I'm using that word in the most specific of sense, most remarkable and terrible revelation of God's glory. Verse 18 reminds us that God not only revealed himself through words, but also through this sensory immersive demonstration of his glory. Moses describes the loud clapping of thunder, fiery flashes of lightning, the blaring sound of a trumpet, and how the whole mountain trembled with the smoke of the presence of God. So God rescued his people, saved them, guided and provided for them, all leading them to this mountain so that they might know him. He rescued them from slavery that they might worship him alone. So from the bridge of this passage, would you just spend a moment here uh, looking back over your own life and praise God for the ways that he has revealed himself to you. Don't forget how he found you in the slavery of your own sin and redeemed you, cleansed you with the blood of Christ so that you walked through death on dry ground into the marvelous life of Christ. And each step God's presence has gone before you and has led you. He has provided for you through every winding turn of your life and he has brought you to himself. And then he's given you his word so that you might know him. Even in the last week, we stood in places where people are worshiping gods that are false. And we worship a God, not that we don't know or that we grasp to try to figure out, but a God who has made himself known to us through his word. A God who has made himself known to us through the finished work of his son. Who makes himself known to us through the present ministry of the Holy Spirit. Praise the Lord. He is the God of revelation. And now let us look at the response of his people. There are various responses we find in verses 18 all the way to 21. The back half of verse 18 presents a progression of how the Israelites responded to the words and wonders of God. And the first thing we notice is that they are afraid. They're afraid. In the second recording of this account, in Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 25, we learn the thing that they're most afraid of is that they're going to die. Now, multiple times on the journey already, they've asked, Moses, were there not enough graves in Egypt that you had to bring us out here so that we might die in the wilderness? And here, in the overwhelming display of this moment, they are convinced that God has led them here that he might kill them. While the people were certainly terrified from what they saw and heard with the thunder and the lightning, the thing they seem most fearful of is hearing the very voice of God. So they are afraid. And next, notice they tremble. The fear did not only affect their minds, but it ran through them, shot through them, their emotions and their bodies. They have a physical, emotional reaction to the revelation of God as they shake like leaves. The Hebrew word tremble means to totter or to reel or stagger. 
The glory of God makes the mountain quake in Exodus 19. The glory of God makes his people quake in Exodus 20. They tremble, and then finally they flee. I want you to notice twice Moses includes the detail of them standing far off. He says that in verse 18. He says it in 21. For us to understand what's happening, why that detail is important, we need to think back to chapter 19, where the whole congregation is warned ahead of time, don't come too close to the mountain or you'll be put to death. Don't even allow your livestock to climb up the mountain. They will, they will surely die. But here, no one seems worried about getting too close. Rather, they're worried about how far away they can get from God. When God began speaking these ten words, Exodus 19.17 tells us that they were at the foot of the mountain. By the time he's done, we find them far off or at a distance. And as we reach this point... I want to highlight from this passage there are two types of fear. Look closely at verse 20 as Moses says to them, Do not fear, for God has come to test you, that the fear of him may be before you. Is that confusing to anyone? Don't fear so that we can fear. Well, what does that mean? You might say, well, are they different words in Hebrew? No, they're the same root, actually. Was there another explanation? Well, yes. What's happening is Moses is making a contrast between a holy, reverent fear of God and being terrified of God. You see, there is a fear that flees God's presence, and there is a fear that seeks God's presence. Let's think about the fear that flees. As I reflected on the specifics of this scene at Mount Sinai, with God speaking in the midst of his fiery presence, I was reminded of a previous scene that also occurred right here. I've referenced it already. It was Exodus chapter 3 where, once again, God revealed himself. He spoke to Moses his very name in the presence of the, the burning bush. And the first time Moses heard from God, he was terrified. Moses hid his face. He was so afraid to be in the presence of God. And similarly, here the children of Israel are witnessing the burning holiness of the presence of God for the first time. And their instinct is to flee, to hide. Like we see in Genesis when Adam and Eve hide in the garden knowing they have broken God's law and command. Like Isaiah becomes undone in the presence of a holy God. Like the shepherds fear and tremble when low above the earth rang out the angel chorus that hailed through all the earth. Is that how it's right? I think that's how it goes. So there's two types of fear. There's a fear that flees God's presence and a fear that seeks God's presence. Charles Spurgeon explains it like this. There is the slavish fear which trembles before God as a criminal trembles before the judge. The fear which mistrusts, suspects, and has no confidence in God. The fear which keeps us away from God causes us to dread the thought of drawing near to him. But dear friends, there's another fear that ought to be cultivated. The reverential fear 
which the holy angels feel when they worship God and behold his glory. That gracious fear which makes them veil their faces with their wings as they adore the majesty on high. There's also the loving fear which every true right-hearted child has toward its father. A fear of grieving so tender a parent. A proper feeling of dread which makes it watch its every footstep. Lest in the slightest degree it should deviate from the path of obedience. May God graciously grant us much of this kind of fear. There is too little of the fear of God in his church. And so this leads to a fear that is right. Proverbs says that the fear of God is the beginning of all wisdom. And the more we understand the right way to fear God, with reverence, with obedience, with love, with wonder, with adoration, the more we will grow in our faith. Moses tries to assure the people, offering them two reasons not to fear. The first reason, he says, and he's, he's comforting them here like a prophet. He's comforting them saying, God has not come to kill you. God has come to test you. The Hebrew word for test is used multiple times in the book of Exodus. We've already come across it. God tested the Israelites uh, by the bitter waters of Marah. God tested the Israelites as he told them to only take manna for six days and to trust him for the seventh. In both cases, this word test was a, uh, a training. He is training Israel to walk in obedience. And isn't that what God's doing in the Ten Commands? He didn't bring them all the way to Mount Sinai to kill them with his words. He came them there to instruct them so they might live obedience. And that leads to the second reason that Moses offers of why God has spoken, because he doesn't want them to sin. He wants them to know, God wants them to know his words so they can know right from wrong and walk in obedience as an expression of holiness before the Holy God. The Holy One of Israel is revealing Himself to His people so that they might reflect His perfect holiness. Two types of fear. A fear that flees God's presence and a fear that seeks God's presence. So may I ask, which fear of God do you have? Are you terrified by Him? So that when you sin, you run as far as you can. If you're not in Christ, that's a wise thing to do. But if you're in Jesus, the fear that you're meant to have, the fear that leads to life, the fear that is uh, marked by awe and reverence and uh, honor for who God is, the right fear of God causes our lives to look more and more holy. The right fear of God causes us to enjoy him more and more. And that's the response of his people that he's looking for. And then finally, we hear the request for a mediator. Now, generally, when I'm working through a text in an exposition, I like it to be linear. Here's what happens in 18, here's what happens in 19, and here's 20 and 21. But this is a little jumbled. So now we're going to have to retrace our steps a little bit. I want to show you what's happening as the people request the mediator. 
The first request we find in verse 19 is that God would from then on give his revelation through Moses. So the people cry out to Moses, You speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. And as soon as I I heard that, I thought about, do you remember how um, tired we grew of Moses back in the beginning? He was just so whiny. Do you remember that? Well, God, I know you've sent me, but how will they know? And what do I say? I'm not good with the words so much. And I don't know what they'll do to me. And all this kind of stuff. And even along the journey, the people have grumbled against Moses. Moses, are you sure you got this right? Are you sure this is what God said? It looks like we're going to die again and again. Hemmed in by the army of Egypt. Right? No water. No food. And for every step, God has confirmed his plan. Now... So every step, they want to know that God has spoken, and here the whole narrative changes. They don't want to hear from God, they just want to hear from Moses. And of course, the Lord knew this would be the outcome long before the scene began. In chapter 19, verse 9, the Lord told Moses, I am coming to you in a thick cloud that the people may hear when I speak with you. So that's happened. And may also believe you forever. You see this other purpose that God has in this revelation? He knew the people would want to close their ears to his voice. God had appointed on this mountain, in this moment, that the people would believe in Moses as a prophet. So remember, we're on a bridge between the Ten Commandments and the Book of the Covenant. The people heard God speak the Ten Commandments with their own ears, and they had had enough. From now on, God won't speak to the people. They won't hear his voice. God will speak to Moses through the whole book of the covenant and with the instructions of the tabernacle, which we will get to sometime next year. Just just trying to see if we can laugh together in the new year. God will give his revelation through Moses, and also he will give, uh, there will now be mediation through Moses. We don't have a lot of time to explore this. We will look at it uh, very clearly in Exodus 32. But the key truth that I want to make sure that we understand is from this moment on, Moses will represent God to the people, and Moses will represent the people before God. That's what a mediator is. It comes between two parties. And Moses is now installed as the mediator. He will represent God to the people as he speaks for God to them. And he will represent the people before God. We'll see in Exodus 32 how he intercedes for them. The scene ends in verse 21 with a painted contrast. Look at this. The people stood far off. While Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. How could Moses draw near? The only reason is because God had invited him. That's the only reason he lives in this. But how can a sinful man stand before a holy God? Moses too would need a mediator. Hebrews 11 says that by faith, 
Moses fled the fleeting pleasures of sin. That by faith, he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith, he trusted in the revelation of God. And faith was his response to God. As he walked in light of everything that God had told him and looked forward to a true and better prophet, a true and better mediator to come. In the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 18, verses 15 through 18, Moses prophesies this. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen, just as you desired of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly, when you said, let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God, or see this great fire any more, lest I die. And the Lord said to me, they are right in what they have spoken. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. Brothers and sisters, in Jesus, we see the perfect revelation of God. In Jesus, he has uh, hushed the, louds, the law's loud thunder. Christ has quenched Mount Sinai's flame. So we don't worship at a mountain at Sinai. We worship at Zion. We worship Christ the fulfillment, the fullness of the revelation of God embodied among us, the mediator between God and man. The only way that a holy people can stand, or an unholy people can stand before a holy God is through the mediatorial work of Christ. And so I just want to say to any of you who have heard the revelation of God, maybe even this morning is the first time you realize there is a God, one true God who is perfectly holy in all of his ways. And because you've sinned, you don't need to be convinced that you've sinned. You know you've sinned. There's no way for you to approach him. And so you, you've run. You've hidden. Well, because of what God has done, you don't have to hide. You don't have to run. Because out of great love, God sent his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, should not die, but have eternal life. But you need a mediator. You need a savior. You need someone who can go before God and plead your case. And this is what Christ has done. And so even today, I invite you, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Turn from your sin. And he will forgive you. He will save you. He is the God who has revealed himself and he is the God who saves Exodus 20, 18 to 21, I told you, it's packed with revelation and response. What a remarkable scene, detailing how God has revealed himself. Two different ways to respond, one that leads us to flee the presence of God, and one that leads us to seek the presence of God. And along the way, let us not forget, God has revealed himself to us, so that he would be known and rightly worshipped, that the right fear of God would fill our hearts, and that fear would lead us to holy living, 
Not to try to earn God's approval, but because we have it in Jesus. We're living like new creations. Following the one who alone can save. Um, The writer of Hebrews in chapter 12, beginning in verse 18. (laughs) Five years ago, I could have seen that without leaning in like that. But 18. Listen to this. For you, if you're in Christ Jesus, this is true for you. For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire, in darkness and gloom and a tempest, and the sound of a trumpet, a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages may be spoken to them, for they could not endure the order that was given. If indeed a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant. And to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. That's really good news. So what would be a fitting benediction? I think it's right here in verse 28. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. Let's pray. Father, thank you for revealing yourself to us. I thank you that uh, this room is full of people whose eyes were once blind, whose ears were once closed, whose hearts were once dead. But now, eyes opened. Ears filled with truth. Hearts overflowing with love for Jesus. And we know that all of this comes from you. We praise you that you are the God of revelation who in your great grace has caused us to rightly respond. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast from The Trails Church. We hope you have been encouraged, equipped, and edified by time spent together in God's Word. And again, if you'd like to find out more about The Trails Church, visit our website, thetrails.org. 